Welcome to Hope Beyond the Badge, a podcast that brings awareness, inspiration, and conversation together for first responders, families, and others interested in mental well-being in first response. New episodes weekly with your hosts, Jay Bailey and Linda Kokoros. Jay is a father, a military veteran, worked in the fire service for 18 years, and carries a diagnosis of PTSD. Linda is a mom, a wife, a certified life coach for first responders, and a suicide loss survivor of a first responder. Let's talk about it. Our guest today is Julie Lovely. Julie is here to talk about her Wild Hearts Therapeutic Equestrian Program a program that provides active duty and veteran service members with an alternative to coping with post-traumatic stress and brain injuries. Julie, we're looking forward to hearing all about your program. Uh, First, would you mind taking a moment to introduce yourself to our audience? Sure. Thank you so much for having me. Um, I run Wild Hearts Therapeutic Equestrian Program, and um, we work with veterans and first responders to address um, trauma that they may have experienced. And um, we do that through working with our horses. Mm. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Where, where, you, where is Wild Hearts? Where is it situated? Sure. So um, it's located in West Bridgewater. It's my small backyard farm. We just have a couple acres. And um, it's very private. And we like it that way. <laughs> we like to keep it small and private and intimate um, just to make sure that everybody gets plenty of one-on-one time with all of our horses. Thank you for sharing that with us. Tell us a little bit about how long you've been doing this, why you wanted to get into this in the first place, when the program started, how long you've been doing it, what inspired you um, Mm -hmm. to do this in the first place? Sure. So the program was started in 2009 and originally it was primarily therapeutic riding and we worked with um, children and adults who had special needs. And um, it's, I wanted to start a program like this because I grew up volunteering at a therapeutic riding program and it had such an, just an unbelievable impact on me just watching what working with horses did for the people who came to the program. Um, Back in those days, so this was in, I grew up in the 80s and went to, graduated high school in 1995. So this was my childhood in the 80s, early 90s. And there really wasn't, um, you couldn't really go to school for this type of stuff. You know, it was just, you got involved in a program and it wasn't something you really pursued as a career. Um, So I went to college for graphic design and later got out of college and um, worked for a while as a designer and then went back to school for an MBA and thought I was going to work in corporate marketing and and realized that that just wasn't a good fit for me and uh, don't know what I was thinking exactly, but but that's what I thought I wanted to do. And um, no offense to corporate marketers out there, but (laughs) but, uh, 
I ended up moving to West Bridgewater in um, 2008, and it was very close to a, a really great program, the Bridge Center. And I, at that point, I got my therapeutic riding instructor license and just got back into everything that I had been doing, um, you know, growing up. And I had um, a little farm in West Bridgewater, and I thought, well, I'd, I'd really love to start a small little program myself. And um, yeah, I had gone to school for entrepreneurship, so I kind of had the drive to start something from the ground up. And, um, and it was really successful. It was almost too successful, and it became bigger than I could handle myself. So who, who was your who was your um, your clients at the time? Um, we had children and adults with a variety of special needs. So we worked with people who had autism. Um, we worked with um, adults that had physical disabilities. It typically wasn't um, mental health. People weren't necessarily coming for mental health. But we had a lot of volunteers who wanted to volunteer to address their own mental health um, challenges. Mm. So people who were experiencing depression or anxiety, and they were coming to volunteer and be around the horses. So the therapeutic riding part got really big, and there were so many students and, and volunteers and so much coordination, and it just became more that, than I could handle. And it seemed like what was really needed was something that was going to address mental health in the community. So since the Bridge Center existed in Bridgewater, and um, it seemed like it was a better idea was to address the mental health aspect of working with horses, that was the direction I took the program in 2013. So we actually stopped therapeutic riding. And in 2013, we started our equine-assisted psychotherapy program. And then in 2014, we started our um, horsemanship program for veterans. And that was specifically to address post-traumatic stress and trauma. Okay. So that was the start of the therapy program that you have today? Yeah. In 2014? Yep, Yes. Wow, yeah. So just about 10 years now. Yeah. Almost 10 years. Yeah. yeah. The psychotherapy program did start 10 years ago. It's hard to believe. So we had an opportunity to visit the farm um, and, and meet the horses and get to sort of see them and you and speak with you. Um, so I have a great picture of, of what that is like and what the people are going to receive. Share with us a little bit. Let's get into the programs. What type of programs do you offer? Yeah, Are, are they so different? It, different methods? Yeah. It, it might be easier to explain sort of how the programs have changed over the years to yeah, explain. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So when we first started the program, um, we were really focusing on horsemanship and it um, it was definitely more task-based. So we were teaching people how to communicate with our horses. And we did that through a variety of different natural horsemanship techniques. Um, we were definitely building relationships with the horses, but it was, it was focused more on uh, um, tasks, natural horsemanship activities. And it's not to say that it wasn't 
really helpful for people. We had really great feedback. We had people who came to the program for years and years and years and, and really absolutely loved coming here and working with our horses. But it started to sort of evolve. Um, I would say it was the beginning of the the change was probably in 2019, um, right before COVID. And I myself, I was starting to change the way that I worked with horses. And I was focusing more on relationship and connection first um, before I really worried about any type of training. It was all relationship and connection. Um, and so when COVID happened, it kind of put a, you know, a damper on it because we had to stop for a while and we weren't yeah. able to bring people to the farm. But it, the, the one good thing is it, it sort of gave me a chance to figure out where I was going with this program and what I wanted it to look like. And over that time, I did just a lot of, you know, education for myself and a lot of work with the horses and, um, I think I, I, you know, everything that I, I do with people now with the horses, I've, I've done myself. I've yeah. taken this journey myself, the same journey that people are, you know, taking to address their trauma. Yeah. So um, it really, over COVID, it, it did give me a chance to spend some time trying to figure out, you know, where we were going with this. And that's when I found natural lifemanship, which is, um, it's a approach toward equine assisted services and it's based on the, the science of relationships. So you're really, you're working with the nervous system. You're focusing on connection, relationships, attachment. Um, and it all started to come together. It all started to make sense. Um, I felt like, you know, even though we were doing really good work, I felt like a lot of the, the principles that I was teaching people didn't quite fit. Um, when you tried to translate them to human relationships. And that was one of the things that really resonated with me with natural lifemanship was the principles apply across the board. So whether you're working with horses or you're working with people, it applies across the board. And wow. that just made sense in terms of, especially when you've been through trauma, um, because you're always sort of seeking safety um, and where I felt like traditional horsemanship was was kind of trying to make sure that the horse was in control. And, you know, it's kind of an illusion that you can control a thousand pound horse or a 1500 pound horse. Mm. And so now the the way that I work with horses is I'm in control of myself and they're in control of themselves. And it's not about me controlling their feet or, you know, trying to get them to do what I want them to do. We're building the relationship first. And when you think about that in terms of human relationships, you know, when you have a really good connection with someone, whether it's your spouse or a friend or your children, do you want them to be obedient to you? No, you want, you want to have a connection. Yeah. You want both people to be doing what's best for the relationship, not because one is in control of the other. Yeah. So it just, all of the principles made so much sense to me. And that's really the, the model that we follow now. Wow. Yeah. And that is amazing. <laughs> I told you before, I want to take that program. <laughs> um, I want to do all of that. 
it's even a great feeling actually with just sitting listening to you talking i mean yeah. it's just a good one do you want to chime in there jay um yes so i read on your on your facebook page and you just mentioned something about connection i read that uh social connection is a biological imperative um, which stopped me dead in my tracks and i wow. wanted to know more and it says that's that's a concept that guides uh all that you do at at wild hearts can you maybe give us an example of a way that um that a participant would interact with the horses and how that translates or or uh, yeah. helps them relearn how to establish more fulfilling human connections yeah absolutely yeah so and i heard that um that that you know, connection and relationship is a biological imperative um, from a psychologist. And I honestly can't remember where I heard it. I came across it somewhere. It's probably on our Facebook page. <laughs> and um, and that really, I mean, that hit home as to why this all makes so much sense. Because as a species, we have to connect with other, you know, other beings in order to, to thrive, in order to survive. And so when someone comes to our program, um, we do a lot of nervous system regulation and we do this with our horses because coincidentally, a human, a, a human's brain that's been through trauma is actually very similar to the way a horse's brain functions. So horses are fight flight animals. Um, you know, they will typically choose fight, uh, flight before they choose fight. They, you know, assess a situation and they're, they're usually going to run away before whatever it is they think, you know, can get them. Um, but when we work with horses, you know, in a domestic situation, we can help them to build the cross-brain connections, just like we can help rewire our own brains so that we aren't always living in our um, survival regions of our brain. We're not always living in the fight, flight, freeze regions of our brain. Um, we do have the ability to rewire our brains through nervous system regulation um, and building relationships with these horses that will allow us to ultimately gain more control over our responses so that we aren't carried away by, um, you know, our feeling like our brain is just sort of like doing things that is baffling to us. Mm. And, you know, the thing I always try to remember is that nothing our brain does is truly baffling. It may seem baffling, but, right. you know, our brain is protecting us. Yep. And same thing with a horse. You know, their brain is protecting them. That's how they have survived for all of these years as very large prey animals. You know, they can't hide, so yeah. they have to run. <laughs> and so when we work with horses and we work on regulating the nervous system, we work on um, building the cross-brain connections by um, asking a horse for connection and giving them the choice as to whether or not they want to connect. It allows us to, to look at our own patterns of behavior and try out new patterns of behavior. And the horses will give us instantaneous feedback and it's non-judgmental. That's the really important part. There is no judgment. A horse is not judging you um, 
you know, based on who you are, where you've grown up, how much money you have, the experiences you've been through. Um, they're just responding to what is going on, the energy and the intention that you're bringing in that moment. Um, so we do lots of different activities. Some are with the horse and some are actually with not with the horses where we do learn how to regulate our nervous system and how to um, pay attention to our body sensations because that's where we're really starting is in the, the um, survival regions of the brain. And then we try to move up into um, the part of the brain that deals with movement because movement helps to regulate the nervous system. Um, That's, um, it's called the, we learn this in natural lifemanship, it's the diencephalon. So we deal with the brainstem, which is like our sensing um, brain. And then the diencephalon is the movement um, and then our limbic system is emotional connection. And then we deal with our neocortex, the thinking brain. So we're really sort of like, if you're thinking about this very simplified, um, map of the brain, we're sort of moving up from the, the fight flight survival regions of the brain to our neocortex. And so that's where we have the opportunity to pause before our fight flight takes over and our neocortex can say, no, you're safe. It's okay. And that's what we try to do with our horses too. And we absolutely can rewire their brains. That's the whole concept of neuroplasticity. Um, And we absolutely, you know, it's so funny because this question just came up on a, um, a forum I'm on online and somebody asked, they're working with a horse and the horse has been through trauma in its life. And they asked, do you think that this horse can actually move past this trauma or will it stay with them forever? Mm. And my answer was that absolutely he can move past the trauma just like a human can, because that's the concept of neuroplasticity. We can build new connections in our brain by having the right experiences. Mm -hmm. So we absolutely do not have to be it's not a life sentence that we've gone through trauma mm. and that yeah. that's comes from Bessel van der Kolk. I, I just, I love his work and you know, he just believes that it's not a life sentence. We absolutely can change and change our brains and, and move past trauma. And we can do this by building a relationship with a horse. Wow. Incredible. Yeah. Incredible. You, you mentioned the horse having uh, a similar response to the fight or flight. Does a horse have a frontal lobe? Yes, that's such a great question because there is actually so much misinformation out there. There's a, a actually a fairly recently published book um, that's really it's really kind of disturbing because it's very recently published and it's by a well-respected person who says that a horse has no frontal lobe. Um, but there, horses absolutely have a frontal lobe. They don't have, you know, as developed of a neocortex as a human has. So they don't have the ability like a human has, um, you know, to reason the way humans do, which is one of the reasons why when we're working with horses and say a horse isn't doing what, you know, we want them to do. Mm -hmm. Well, 
we can't attribute things like, oh, he's being stubborn or, oh, he's just trying to piss me off today. He knows what he, what I want. He's just not doing it because he's being, you know, he's just being a pain. Horses don't have that ability to, um, you know, to reason, to reason it out like that and say, well, I'm going to do this just to make you mad today. It's like yeah. horses don't do that. They just, you know, they're going to just respond to the situation. You know, they're not going to, um, they're not going to piece together, you know, other information and, and say, well, I'm just going to do this to, to make you mad today. Um, but they absolutely have a frontal lobe and a neocortex and they do have the ability to regulate themselves so that they aren't always living in this, this fight flight survival region of their brain. Um, Steven Peters is, um, he wrote in conjunction with um, a, a horse trainer, a well-known horse trainer, a book called Evidence-Based Horsemanship. And it's it's pretty technical, but it's so interesting because he gets all into the structure of the horse's brain. He's done dissections of horses' brains. And so he, you can see, you know, he can pinpoint exactly where the horse's frontal lobe is. Um, so yeah, it's a really important concept that a horse does in fact have the ability to, um, stop, pause and assess something before they let their, um, fight flight take over just like humans can learn to do too. Wow. Amazing. I mean, that's just amazing. Like I just find all of this so fascinating that it makes me want to learn more and more and more about it. (laughs) Um, Every time I hear you speak, um, it's just fascinating um, that that can, that can happen. That connection can happen with the horses. Having said that, how do participants um, learn this connection through you? Um, how do you teach that mm-hmm. to, to someone who's participating in it? Yeah. So we spend, like I said, we spend a lot of time doing, we usually start the session with some type of nervous system regulation. So, um, that's generally not with the horses. That's usually, you know, we kind of have a group check-in and we do some type of nervous system regulation. So whether it's, um, you know, we'll do like a connected body scan where we really kind of look at, um, we scan our body and we look for places of tension. We will look for places of relaxation and then we kind of bounce between the two. Um, <clears throat> so that we really are trying to tune into our body sensations. Um, that's where we really feel like everything needs to start is dealing with our body sensations because so often, you know, we're, um, we're too much in our head, you know, we're, we're just, we're not tuned into what's going on in our bodies. Yeah. And, you know, it's, we're taught from a young age to just sort of ignore our body sensations. And, um, you know, that's, that's where everything starts. And that's where horses live. You know, horses are very in tune with their body sensations. So um, that's not to say, though, that a horse can't um, disassociate, that a horse can't shut down. So, you know, if they're in chronic pain, for example, they absolutely can shut down in order to shut that pain out. Um but that's a whole other story. I don't want to go off on a tangent. Wow. 
but um so we start with nervous system regulation like i said we'll do like a connected body scan or we do this one um we do this one activity that everyone absolutely loves it's with the ropes um ropes are just they're a tool that we use in the ring to be able to to you know put pressure on a horse when we're asking for connection and i'll talk more about pressure in a minute mm-hmm. uh, but we have these um these long ropes and we start out just by swinging the ropes really rhythmically. Um, we, you know, count to 15. We bring our body energy up really high. We bring our body energy down low. We sort of explore the range of um, energy by using those, these ropes. And um, are everyone they, Are they working the, with horses at the time? We're not working with horses. We're just with working with the ropes by ourselves yeah yeah, so that we can um really kind of explore our limits of body energy and how it feels to go really high and how it feels to go really low so that we can start to gain some control over our energy and how that feels you know from a regulated state Um, because sometimes when we bring our body energy up really really high we start to feel dysregulated Um, Or, you know, if we have sort of our baseline of energy, if we bring our energy really low, we can start to feel really dysregulated. So it's to help tune into um, our, you know, our sensations in our bodies. And that activity in particular, I love it because it brings in all um, parts of the brain. So, you know, you've got the sensing of the brainstem, you've got the movement um, of the diencephalon, you've got, um, and then when we start to count, we um, bring in our neocortex because suddenly you have to, to, you have to think to be able to count while you're doing this movement. So it helps to just kind of regulate the nervous system and bring in all of those cross connections in that one simple activity. Um, and that one's a favorite of everyone. They love that one. And I love it too, because, you know, we do work with ropes, you know, when we're trying to raise our body energy up and we feel like we've gotten as high as we possibly can, then we might need to bring in a tool. And so often, usually the tool that I choose is a rope and, um, it just allows me to kind of bring my energy up and you can get a little bit closer to the horse without having to physically move closer to the horse. Cause it's more like an extension, you know, of your arm as you swing the rope. Yeah. And, um, and so it, it's, it helps with rope skills as well. Cause you're, you know, swinging the rope and you're kind of getting good at the movement. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so um, we'll do that one. We've also done um, tapping. Tapping is always a favorite of everyone. Um, and I, I love tapping. It's a really great way to regulate the nervous system. So we do a variety of those types of things in the beginning. And then, um, throughout the eight weeks, we start with, um, just getting to know our horses. So we have four of our own horses, um, two are big, two are minis. And, um, I generally have a volunteer who will bring two horses, two big horses as well. Mm-hmm. So we let everyone choose. We keep the group small, no more than four people. And we, we let people choose who they want to work with. If they want to work with the big horses or they want to work with one of the minis. Um, so everyone has their own horse. They have their own horse. Yep. For the, for the eight weeks. 
And the way the farm is set up, we have um, spaces that everyone can be with their horse. So in the beginning, people will spend time, you know, with their horses in, in the paddock or if they're in the ring um, by themselves. And we do, you know, different things like we'll do some breathing with the horses where you're paying attention to their breath, you're paying attention to your breath, you're trying to see if their breath is regulated in rhythmic, trying to see if your breath is regulated in rhythmic, you can try to match your breath to theirs, helps you to just tune in to the horse. Yeah. The whole time the horses are at liberty. So meaning that they're not on halters. Um, they're not on lead ropes. They have the choice to, to walk away if they want to. Um, and then we can ask them to connect with us again if they'd like to. So we, we really give the horses, you know, the ultimate choice. Um, and then as the, the program progresses, we'll do, um, we do some body work with the horses. We do um, the very first sort of foundational technique of the Masterson method. Um, which is a um, it's a pro it's an approach to body work with horses that this I love this this approach because it you have to have a conversation with the horse so it's it's not um, you're not really working the horse's muscles like you would say if you were doing you know horse massage or um, chiropractor or things like that, which also have really, you know, great, um, purposes with horses, but the Masterson method, I love it because you have to have a conversation with the horse. You have to be attuned to their responses and you have to know when to sort of back off in pressure and when to bring pressure, when to, when to hold the pressure so that they'll release tension. So it's a way of working with horses to help them release tension in their bodies. Wow. Uh, and it really, it's, it's so incredible. I have done it for a long time and I just, I love it every single time I do it just to see the releases that horses give us. And it depends on the horse. Sometimes they're very dramatic. Like they'll do these big yawns or they'll lay down and roll. And then other times they're very subtle. Like you just have to look for the very subtle release that they'll give you. Um, but we had one of our participants, we did the Masterson method just this last session and they were working on our, our horse Kipper and Kipper is normally so stoic. He is just really stoic. He never shows you. I mean, unless he's really in pain, he doesn't show anything. And she was doing some Masterson method. And we actually got a couple pictures of it. And he just yawned these huge yawns. So unusual for him. So that was really, really cool that she was able to, to have that kind of um, impact on wow. him. So Jordan, the... This method that the, the the participant was doing, they were speaking or touching the horse. No, so it is all through um, just your energy, and you really don't necessarily even need to touch the horse. Um, we move along the bladder meridians of the horse on either side, which sort of runs all along their top line down. Um, you know, sort of their their uh, rump past their tail down their leg and 
what you do is when you move your hand and you can be touching them, there's sort of different levels of pressure that we teach um, in this method. But you move your hand along the bladder meridian and when the horse shows a sign of tension, which can be very subtle, it can be just a blink, could be a little flare of the nostril, could be a little fidget, could be a tail swish, um, you stop and you just hold and you stand there. And if the horse starts to get a little fidgety, you can even release the pressure a little bit more, move your hand away a little bit more, as long as you're just bringing attention to that spot that has tension. And then generally, if you just hold long enough, the horse will release the tension. So that can be a deeper blink. It can be a like blowing out, like a big breath. Um, it can be a big yawn. It depends on the horse, how they're going to show that release. Yeah. Um, but it's, it is really, it's non-invasive, you know, it's, we're not working muscles. It's just very, very light touch. And we're just bringing attention to spots of tension in the horse, um, which is helping us to become more attuned to their body language. Yeah. Um, which is one of the things that is so powerful in working with horses is it allows us to um, become attuned to another being and have them respond to us because asking for connection can be very vulnerable. Yeah. Um, you know, you're making a request for connection and you're sort of putting yourself out there and you're hoping the need, your need is going to be met. You're saying, I need this. And you're hoping your need is going to be met. And so it's a really vulnerable place. And so we can, we can practice this with horses. And, um, and especially for someone who is gone through trauma, right? Experiences. Um, yeah. They are very vulnerable, right? And it, and it is hard to make connections because they tend to isolate away yes. from connection right um so wow yeah um I'm still blown away here by this (laughs) so so when you get and have a new session you call it a session it's Mm -hmm. eight it's eight weeks right yeah each session is this run through the whole year or is it just certain times of the year yeah so we run eight-week sessions right now and they meet once a week for two hours um, on Friday mornings from 10 to 12. And we have two, um, two eight week sessions. One is in the spring, it's in May and June. And then we have a second one in the fall and that one's in September, October. Um, I, I wish it could be ongoing. You know, I wish we could do this all year round. Um, but unfortunately we don't have an indoor arena. Um, so it gets really hot in the summertime and it gets very cold in the wintertime. Um, so we just don't have the facility to be able to run it all year round. Yeah. Um, just given the number of horses we have and, and the fact that our horses are, you know, they're pretty senior, they're, they're older guys, except for our one mini who's only two. We just got her in January. Um, but, um, but we, you know, are, are cognizant of how much work that they do. So um, we just run the two eight week sessions currently. Okay. And is there any, other sessions like a private session or you know a one-on-one session type of thing yes yep share with us yeah we also offer on wednesdays um it's their private psychotherapy sessions so they're um 
their trauma focused psychotherapy, equine assisted psychotherapy. And that those are, we have two slots. We have one at 10 AM and one on one at 11 AM on Wednesdays. And it runs for the same eight week session as um, our Friday program. And that those you work one-on-one with um, myself and um, our licensed mental health counselor and one of our horses. And so that is a little bit different. It depends on what you're looking for. The group program, um, it's very, um, it's focused from the present forward. So we do have a licensed mental health counselor that is involved with the session, but we're not sitting down and doing an intake and taking a history. Um, you know, we're really just focused on um, helping people in the present to, you know, regulate their nervous systems and to be able to to develop some skills to be able to cope with the trauma that they've been through mm-hmm. um, and, and kind of, you know, the beginnings of um, establishing connection and relationship yeah. and you know, their everyday lives. I love that. The individual sessions, it's not like, oh, as soon as you sign up for an individual session, we're just going to dive right back into your childhood. It's not like that at all. But there is an intake um, and you can go a little bit, you know, deeper should you choose to. So it's kind of like peeling away an onion, you know, the layers of the The layers. Yeah. Yeah, peeling them away. And so with that, because it's one-on-one, I think you have a little bit more of an opportunity to kind of peel away layers, you know, in a private session. Generally, people who do that program, who do our private sessions, will often be working with another therapist um, because, unfortunately, we can't offer ongoing therapy just given the limitations of our, you know, our time and our resources. Yeah. Um, so we, those are, you know, offered short term. So a lot of times people will be working with another therapist um, and our trauma, our trauma therapist who works with us in those equine assisted psychotherapy sessions. She also has a private practice. So, you know, she can also continue to see people in her private practice. Excellent. I love that. And I know we are going to have your trauma therapist on uh in one of our future podcasts um because it's important right we 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 want to start to get that message out there for first responders veterans um who you know want to seek um alternative right more holistic approach working with um uh, horses and and have that option to be able to really have a connection it's like a sense of self I'm, I've been using this word quite a lot this week but basically getting fine-tuned into your sense of self and knowing a little bit more right yeah. about yourself and also hopefully carrying out into relationships right um I I think it's absolutely wonderful let's talk first responders um getting in there um, are most of your program, most of the program that you have, are, is it more veteran based, um, the eight weeks or first responders based? Tell us like where you would like to see that going, um, in the future, all of that stuff. Yeah. So when we first started the Friday program, we focused on the veteran community, um, 
And that seemed to be, you know, what needed the most help. We heard so much about veterans, um, you know, dealing with post-traumatic stress. Um, we're a member of the, the Professional Association of Therapeutic Horsemanship, and they had a Horses for Heroes program, and, um, you know, they would go to conferences, and it would always address veterans. First responders were kind of like thrown in there. It's like veterans and first responders, but it was usually focused on veterans. Yeah. Um, so we ran, we focused on veterans um, from the beginning, and we didn't really promote first responders. And then this past session, I received an email from a gentleman who was a, a first responder and he wasn't a veteran. And he asked if he could join the program. And I said, absolutely. Because so many veterans that had been part of our program were first responders as well. Yeah. They were there because they were veterans, but they were also first responders. Yeah. So, um, I said, absolutely come to the program. And um, it just so happened one of our other participants who had been to the program last year, and then she repeated it again this year, um, was also a first responder. So it was really great to be able to see them connect as well. Um, and because it's a small group, we you know were able to take both veterans and first responders and you know, it doesn't, it's not necessarily specific to one or the other, Yeah. Um, but it just so happened in that group that they both were first responders. So yeah, um, that worked really well because then they were able to make a connection as well. Cause that is such an important part of this is, you know, making connections with the people that come to the program. Yeah. So uh, are we going to say something? No, 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 I'm good. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so, um, once we, we um, you know, had a, a first responder come, then it just sort of opened the door. And it was like, yeah, geez, why aren't we really focusing on first responders as well? And it was kind of funny because um, my dad was a volunteer firefighter growing up and he was an EMT. And so, you know, I'm not really sure why I didn't focus on first responders. <laughs> and yeah. It just was, you know, I think veterans was sort of promoted more, um, that they were the ones that needed our help. And it's really become just even since this last session that I ran, it's really become, um, clear to me how much this work is needed in the first responder community. And, um, I, I feel like the, the stigma is, it's starting to break down in the veteran community, but I feel like it's so very much there in the first responder community. Mm. And, um, and I, you know, podcasts like this are so important in trying to, to, you know, get rid of that stigma and you just hear it over and over and over about the stigma and how, you know, seeking help is seen as such a sign of weakness. Yeah. And, um, you know, I've been to so many programs for veterans and panel discussions and, you know, veterans who are willing to stand up and say that, you know, they've experienced tra trauma and post-traumatic stress. And you don't quite see that in the first responder community. Yeah. Uh, and so I think it can be very isolating, you know, when you feel like you have these these issues and you don't have the support that you need to be able to work through them. 
Um, and especially in, you know, I, I listen to, I've listened to all of your podcast episodes. I've listened oh, to them while I do my barn chores. Oh, thank you. <laughs> yeah. And it's just incredible. Um, I think I can't remember how many people have talked about, um, you know, there's just this compounding of trauma when you're working in first response, you're, you're experiencing all of these traumas, whether they're little traumas or big traumas and it's compounding and you're not, you're not getting rid of those. Mm. And then all of a sudden, all these traumas that weren't necessarily traumatizing now something is traumatizing. Yeah. And it, it just, it reminded me so much of, um, we, we work with this concept with horses is a, a trainer out in California. Um, he came up with this, uh, this thing called 13 rabbits, the 13th rabbit. And it came from a, a woman who was trail riding and she was, you know, trail riding with her horse. And these rabbits kept jumping out onto her path and her horse saw all these rabbits and didn't seem to be bothered by them. And then all of a sudden the 13th rabbit jumped out and her horse just, you know, reared up, dumped her off and went galloping back to the barn. And she's like, well, I don't get what happened. He wasn't bothered by any of these other rabbits. And then all of a sudden the 13th rabbit, he just lost his mind and ran away. And it's really, it was, he was absorbing all these traumas, all, all these traumas and not shaking them off. And then by the time he got to the 13th rabbit, that was it. He was so far over threshold of what he could tolerate. It just seemed like this big baffling behavior and it wasn't at all. It was absolutely predictable. Yeah. And so that's what, you know, when I was listening to the other podcast, it was like, oh my gosh, this is like the 13 rabbits, all these traumas over these years. And it's, is it a surprise that, you know, that veterans need support after you've experienced all of these, these traumas. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. And so our, our one participant this year, um, who's a first responder, he said, um, you know, we were doing a lot of the nervous system regulation and, and he's like, I feel like everyone should just be taught this. Like, this should just be what you do. <laughs> and I was like, that's what I think too. Exactly. <laughs> I do too. I think they, it should be part of, some standard program that's implemented in departments and first right. response. All everyone should be uh, be introduced to all of this. It should be just right. what to do. I mean, think about if you're, you know, a first responder and you're going through the trauma and you're rethinking and reliving all of those events that you have gone through, or you've witnessed, right, and and carrying it around with you, and then to be introduced to a program such as yours where it forces them to be in the present mm-hmm. and, and block out block out the noise or, or let go of the noise that they've been carrying or the load that they've been carrying and it allows them to be and think about someone being able to exhale yeah. you know just to be able to exhale and go ah right you know just like that release that you were yeah. talking about from the horse um right yeah it's like ah you just that sigh of release and yeah yeah, that's a big deal for sure yeah for someone to be able to experience that and start a healing journey yeah Yeah, in a wonderful way and think about how many first responders i don't know jay i i I think if that was if that was available to you am i talking this microphone if this was available to you um you know when you were struggling 
Would you have preferred that versus sitting in a chair? Yes, I, I certainly would have. I didn't, when I first reached out for help, um, I wasn't very well informed about what was available in terms of services. There was, there was some stuff out there, but you had to know where to look. It wasn't, it wasn't just offered to you. I think everything that you're saying makes a lot of sense to yeah. anybody that's well informed about trauma, the cumulative effects, and, and the stigma. I'm really glad that you brought that up because, um, because it's very true. And, and people, members of our community, of the first responder and veteran communities, participating in programs like yours uh, is very beneficial, I think, to overcoming that stigma. And, and I think the conversations that, that we're having on this podcast is too, because that brings about that awareness. And anybody that's well-informed about the human condition and uh, how it's malleable and, and reactive to trauma um, understands that, that uh, addressing those symptoms is necessary for anybody that makes a career or regularly engages in traumatic incidents. Um, I do have a question, though. You mentioned that many of the participants do uh, have a therapist outside of the program. I'm wondering if you notice any difference in terms of outcome at the end of the program um, for somebody that has sort of unpacked the incidents, got them out there, looked at them, right, and, and then they're coming in uh, maybe to, I guess, what I would view as a next stage of healing once you get that done to learning how to be present and, and to interacting with your own nervous system and, and yeah. calming down. So do you see a difference in outcome to those members who have already engaged or participated in talk therapy as opposed to those where this is a first stop? Yeah, you know, I think what typically happens, and this is what I hear over and over again, is that I've done everything else, and this is like my last resort. I've mm. tried everything. I've tried all different kinds of therapy, and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm just trying this because it's something different. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, talk therapy definitely has its place for sure. Um, but when it comes to trauma, because it's so embodied, um, it's not always the best place to start because yeah. when we're in the survival regions of our brain, we, you know, talk therapy is sort of engaging our neocortex. And it's hard to um, be, you know, thinking rationally, reason out things. We may know in our brain that something is so, but the survival region of our brain and the sensations in our body are going, no, yeah. no, that's not true. <laughs> and we just can't, you know, we can't override that. Mm. And so for a lot of people, and this was actually my personal experience as well, um, for a lot of people, we'll, we'll do traditional talk therapy because it's the most accessible, I think. Um, you know, it's generally what insurance companies cover. You know, yeah. unfortunately, insurance companies don't cover what we do here. Um, so that's why we're a nonprofit and we rate, you know, we raise money to be able to, to offer this program for free. Um, but... You know, it's people will sort of do talk therapy and it doesn't necessarily, you know, quote unquote work. And then they'll come to us and be like, you know, I've tried everything else. I want to try this. And then once they do come here and they they sort of tune into their body sensations and they learn to regulate the nervous system and they kind of 
are able to um, learn how to have that pause between the survival region of their brain and then what their neocortex is saying, then they're able to um, make better strides in, you know, something like talk therapy and cognitive behavioral therapy. Um, we've heard that from, there was a, um, a therapist down at the Warwick VA, um, the Warwick Vet Center, who brought our very first two participants back in 2014 um, and continued to bring people for years and years and years and years after that. And um, he said he, he was treating the people who, you know, he was bringing up to the program. And he said he saw such amazing strides since they came to this program. And this was actually in the early days before we were really even incorporating, you know, the natural lifemanship and, mm. you know, really specific nervous system regulation and, you know, really kind of bringing things like attachment theory and, you know, interpersonal yeah. psychology and trauma-informed care and all of that before we were even really consciously bringing that in um, and just working with the horses and developing relationships with the horses was really helping them to tune into themselves. Um, so we did hear that, that that was able to make their their therapy, you know, with their um, talk therapist more productive. Wow. Um, yeah. That's but like awesome. I said, that was my experience as well, um, because I experienced post-traumatic stress after a fire in my apartment when I was in college, which is kind of ironic because my dad was a firefighter for so long. And um, <laughs> and I, you know, horses were so important in my healing, but it was part they were part of my healing because I, I wasn't really, you know, I wasn't engaging in, in equine assisted psychotherapy because I was, you know, around horses, although I probably could have really benefited from it. Yeah. Um, but I did talk therapy and and one of your one of your guests, I remember her saying like she went to a talk therapist and she was just like, you need self-care, take a bubble bath. And, you know, it was that's kind of where I was. And I was like, this isn't working. This isn't helping me. And it's like, consciously, I know what I'm supposed to do, but I just keep, it's like, I didn't know at that point, but it was like the survival regions of my brain were just taken over all the time. Yeah. And um, I started to personally do somatic experiencing, which was like a game changer for me. And so much of what is incorporated into natural lifemanship is somatic. It is, you know, based on what is, is going on in your body. Um, so that was really, that was a turning point for me in my own healing. So like I said, the, you know, the journey that we take people on is a journey that I've been on myself and yeah. I continue to be on as I work with my horses. So I, I love all this. I, mean, I could talk to you for hours. I listen, <laughs> listen to you for hours, but I want to ask you any first responders or veterans who have participated in your programs from the start of the eight weeks to the mm -hmm. end of the eight weeks, what are you noticing or what are they oh. noticing in oh themselves? I, they have reported that they felt, number one, that they have more control over their emotions, mm -hmm. that they're not just sort of, you know, carried away by their emotions. They have, um, we had one veteran who said that, he always took, you know, medication to deal with his anxiety. And he said, I never needed it when I would come to the program. Hmm. 
And it really, it helped me to, you know, lessen my dependence on the medication. And we are 100% not an anti-medication program at all. I absolutely believe that medication serves a purpose because it can help you um, to put you in a place where you're not in crisis. Because this program is is not necessarily, it's not a crisis intervention program. Yeah. So we want to be able to, you know, practice these things when we're not specifically in, in crisis. crisis. Yeah. 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 So um, I remember him saying that, you know, it just helped him to, to, you know, feel more present. So he didn't necessarily need his medication when he would come to the barn. Um, we've had veterans who, you know, had come back, um, you know, from deployment and they had such a hard time with connecting, you know, with their friends, with their loved ones. And they would go through the program and their family would report, oh my gosh, I've seen such a change. I've seen such a change. They're, they're, you know, connecting with us again. And it feels like it's them again. Wow. Kind of like retreating into their own, you know, their own head. And now they've been able to, you know, come back and connect with the family again. Um, I remember one veteran had said that he was able to, he was very triggered by a parade that had gone down past his house. And um, he said he was able to take some of the techniques that we learned here, you know, about nervous system regulation um, and he was able to kind of keep himself present and grounded and not sort of spiral, you know, like he would have previously. Wow. And so that was, that was really incredible that he was able to specifically, you know, take what we've done here and transfer that to a, a really, a real life situation that was incredibly triggering. Yeah. What I'm yeah. hearing is not only is it helping the first responder or veteran, who's going through the program, but it's also helping families. Yes. Right? Because yeah. if, 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 if this person is feeling more in control, more present, and, and being able to regulate from, the, mm. from what they've learned, well, then they're also going to be able to use that in, yeah. in, that, in life, right, in that home, if there's yeah. certain triggers um, mm-hmm. that would have normally triggered them before they're able to sort of... Um, controller. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Uh, we had, I, I have to tell you one other one of this one was so incredible to me. Um, one of our horses was working with um, a veteran and the day before the session, a balloon, like one of those big graduation balloons, it was like the number of, it was probably they graduated in, you know, 2000 and whatever. Yeah. And one of the numbers, one of the big zeros had, it was this big metallic balloon had floated down into the paddock overnight. And so our horse, one of our horses had basically looked at this scary balloon all night long, you know, wondering what the heck this thing was. So he was pretty, you know, he was really kind of, you know, dysregulated to, to say the least. And so when our veteran came and was working with the horse, he said it really helped him to understand what his wife was going through with him because, you know, he had to help this horse to regulate after seeing this balloon all night long. And 
it helped him to see like, this is what my wife goes through with me. So it, we, we couldn't have planned that, you know, it's not like I wow. released a balloon into the paddock just to scare the horse overnight. It's like, <laughs> we yeah. couldn't, we couldn't have planned that, but it's just things like that will happen that you just, you can't even, you can't even create them. You can't, yeah, you can't make that up. No, you can't, yeah. you, you can't do that. That's just, that was, that's where the magic happens Yeah, right there. Yeah. Um, that, you know, now a participant is, is actually so in tune with, you know, known his own regulation and also how how the horse was not yeah. regulated right and and wow be able to put that into his his home life his personal life right. wow right. yeah julie oh my goodness I, so <laughs> i could talk to you but we're gonna i want to get in and say <laughs> i heard you say that you are a non-profit Mm-hmm. share with us a bit about that and you know how can i you said that insurance companies you know generally won't cover um for someone to participate in the program right yeah. tell us about your nonprofit, how it's funded and oh. how do you get funding and yeah. maybe there's someone out there that might want to actually send money your way for great yeah. stuff that you're doing um to to help with the horses help maintain the horses the horses live on your farm you mm-hmm. maintain them yeah i know she maintains them because the day that i went down there she's in the barn sweating <laughs> <laughs> sweating doing whatever she had to do for the morning chores right um of the of the morning before she came and interviewed with us and spent very gracious time with us um sharing about um the whole the whole program uh, um, yeah so Tell us how you're funded. We want it. We want our listeners to hear about that and 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 that the program is free. Like, and yes, how they, how yeah, people so get to, how they can find out about you, yep. how they can sign up, all of that stuff. Share with us. So we are a five hundred one c three, and um, our program for veterans and first responders is entirely free. There's no charge at all. So that is covered by um, our donors, and we have um, different organizations and individuals who will support us. Um, we generally don't um, rely on you know grants and things like that, just because it's it's a big process to get a grant. Um, you know, so often people are like, "Oh, why don't you just get a grant?" And grant writing is a whole huge thing. Um, and you generally have to apply for lots of grants in order to get one. So, you know, I would really rather spend my time in the barn <laughs> with the with the veterans yep. and the first responders and the horses um, and the people. So we're lucky that we do have some really great organizations that support us. And, you know, my, my fear was always, oh, we're such a small program. You know, we only serve, you know, a max of four people each session. Plus we have a couple of slots for, um, you know, private psychotherapy. Do people want to support a little program like this? And I am so thrilled to say that they do. They really do. And um, we just received a $5,000 donation from a woman who, um, needed to take a distribution on her IRA, um, because she's reached a certain age and she really didn't need the money. And so she donated it to wild hearts. Um, 
we just we were going to receive another donation in August from the American Morgan or the Massachusetts Morgan Horse Association. They do a big silent auction, and um, that'll probably be about a two thousand dollar donation. And um, and so you know, I'm just so thrilled that you know people and and organizations they really do want to support a small program like this. Um, because it makes such a huge impact. And, yeah. you know, like you said, it's not just the people who come here, but it's their families, their friends, you know, their spouses, their children. The The reach is so much farther than even just, you know, the one participant who comes here. Yeah. So um, we, the, the, um, the, actually the police union of one of our participants made a donation. Um, so, you know, we, we get donations from places like that. And the majority, the vast majority of it goes to caring for the horses. Yeah. You know, we have pretty low administrative costs. Um, I personally don't get paid. Um, I do it volunteer. I'm fortunate that, you know, I'm married to somebody who puts up with my horse habit and, you know, will, will uh, allow me to, to do this with the horses and I don't have to, uh, to worry about making a salary. So I do this, um, you know, for, for free because it's so important to me. And, um, but it's great to have the the help to take care of the horses because our horses are, are getting older and they're getting, you know, they were expensive before and now they're, they're really expensive now. <laughs> yeah. We keep them in really great care. <laughs> Do you have anyone um, come in to help take care of the horses physically or t- share with us about that also? Yeah. So it is just me and, and I'm okay with that because that is one of the reasons why I do like the program small and, you know, in the future, it would be great to be able to serve more people. Um, but right now the relationship and the connection with the horses is so important to me because that's, that's what everything is built on. And so it's very important to me that those horses have a relationship and a connection with someone. And it can be kind of hard when you get bigger and you have, you know, a lot of people taking care of the horses and the horses aren't necessarily someone's horse. You know, they're kind of owned by whatever the organization is. Yeah. And it's not to say that they can't take great care of their horses, um, but just sort of where I am with this program and yeah. with the direction I'm going with it, I feel like it's really important that they have a relationship and a connection with a person and that person is me and i i love taking care of them that's it's i love putting my earbuds in and doing my barn work and my stalls and my you know picking the paddocks in the morning and um and it just gives me a chance too to connect with the horses and make sure everybody's healthy you know make sure everybody's drinking what they should be and eating what they should be make sure nobody's lame you know so it gives me an opportunity to just kind of have that you know it's kind of a continuity of care that, you know, I'm able to see everything yeah. that goes on with these guys. Yeah, just like mom at baby, right? Yeah, Being, paying attention to what's yeah. going on with the kids, right? Absolutely. Is so-and-so is not eating their breakfast this morning, you know? Right. How come? Right. Um, yeah, exactly. So yeah. you're able to be, by you doing that yourself, you're able to continually see the, the care, monitor yeah. the care that's going on with them, the yeah. health-wise. health-wise. Yeah, so, absolutely. How can people find you? So um, on our website, which is wildheartstherapeutic.org, 
Um, we, and in fact, I just updated the website. I forced myself on that really rainy day. <laughs> I forced myself to do my, my website updates. It was so outdated. Um, I did update the website with all the current dates for the fall and um, the, the application, the new application is up there. So if you want to participate in the um, Friday program, all you have to do is download the application, fill it out, send it in. Um, generally, what we do is we have the four spots for new participants, and then we have a waiting list of people who've come in the past. So if a spot opens up or if we don't fill all four spots, then we'll go down the waiting list so that people can continue to come back. Yeah. Um, because most people, they really do want to come back. They want to come back. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I would imagine. Yeah. 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 We get a lot of repeat people who want to come back. So, um, and then the psychotherapy, um, there's a page on our website for the psychotherapy um, for civilians. There is a charge for that. And unfortunately we're not able to accept insurance, but for um, first responders and for veterans, we're able to offer, because of our donors, a, a really deep discount. So if someone is interested in those individual sessions, just give us a call and then we can um, we can talk to you about, you know, how um, you would pay for it and, yeah. um, you know, setting up an appointment to come to the farm. Yeah. Oh, and so once they get an application in, it's it's not guaranteed that they're going to make a spot at that time, right? Because you've only got four um, yeah, it, slots it open. Yeah, yep. So we we're accepting applications now for our fall um, our fall program, and I don't have any official applications that have come in for new people, but I do have a waiting list that I could fill those four spots with people who are who are you know want to come back. So. Um, if someone is interested, I would encourage them to get their their applications in because we do have a deadline. Um, it's the end of August and the deadline is up there on the website um, just because we need to be able to give our volunteer enough notice. Um, we have a couple of wonderful volunteers that bring their horses um, and one of our volunteers, she has to put in for her vacation. She actually takes a vacation day to be able to bring her horses here. Wow. She, loves the program and um so we want to be able to give her notice so that she can you know make sure that she's available to bring her horses so. absolutely amazing so we got all we got the message out there we have we, we we know where people can reach out to you um we know that there's a, a free of free um because of donations for first responders and veterans and then the the private one-on-one -on -one program um there's a fee for that people find that out is that is that is there a fee for that posted on on your website um yes, yeah. and then yeah, also for first responders does it does a discount yeah, for the really deep, it's like a third of the price to be able to do it um yeah. you're a first responder or a veteran um and i should mention too for the friday program the application is very simple um, I know that that tends to be a, a deterrent for veterans is that they really don't want to fill out, you know, a long application that asks them to disclose tons of things and, you know, have a doctor's note and all that other stuff. So it's a really simple application. It's basically just contact information. And then the last page is any information you want to give us. It's completely optional. You can give us diagnosis information. You can give us medications. You can, you know give us whatever information you feel like you want us to know. 
but yeah. you don't have to fill out any of it if you don't want to. Yeah, absolutely. It's a, it's a really easy application. I love this program so much. Really, really do. Love it. Absolutely love it. Um, you want to chime in, Jay? Um, just to say, Julie, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast and for the incredibly good work that you're doing. Thank yeah. you so much. It's been a pleasure to speak with you and to meet you. Well, thank you so much. It was, you know, like I said, I've listened to all of your, your episodes and your guests have been incredible. I mean, just the stories that they've been willing to share. And yeah. so it's, it's really an honor to be included on this podcast. Well, it's an honor for us to have you on. This is something that I've been looking for, like searching since we started, um, you know, the podcast. I didn't want to just be, you know, myself and Jay, did we just, just wanted to be interviewing or someone telling um, a story or talking about suicide constantly all the time, but offering resources and in a holistic way. Um, just another another option right just another option out there for someone to be able to use and that just might fit them um if yeah. something if an, if another thing is not working for them um yeah. and and I've been searching and searching for it and um yeah I'm so glad you answered the phone that day <laughs> that, <laughs> I that I my really outdated I was, voicemail I was trying I was trying and trying and trying and call for right from the beginning um, when we did it. And it was like, I'm so persistent. Um, and your name, the name never came off my list of calling. And uh, so eventually she answered the phone and we made a connection and um, updated the phone or whatever it was. Yes, but we, we, we made a connection. Message. So I, I feel very blessed that you did um, answer the phone that day and, and we, we were getting to experience this and, and getting to share this information with our listeners, um, which is very important. And I I do know it, when people do get this message out there, you're going to probably be bombarded with um, <laughs> applications. Um, so yeah. you'll have applications going on. But I'm sure like also the private sessions yeah. and just mm -hmm. the holistic approach of it, your knowledge, I mean, you're just... Yeah your knowledge is just like priceless um, about what you do and uh, the horses and just the, 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 the journey you just took us on and sharing all that information with us tonight is just absolutely amazing. So, so um, I look forward to sharing that information with so many others um, who, who might possibly need um, this service for sure. Julie, thank you so much for um, for joining us tonight. We really appreciate it. Julie shares with us that when first responders are experiencing the effects of trauma, it's built up over time. It often leads to feelings or behaviors like isolation and the inability to connect with friends and family. Equine psychotherapy can help first responders regulate their nervous system. Participants learn how to connect or reconnect in relationships and have a greater understanding of themselves. If you are actively involved with a first responder peer support program or if you carry organizational authority, please consider reaching out to Julie to learn more and decide if her Wild Hearts program is something that could benefit the men and women that you represent. Until next time. Until next time.